Mitchell, one of our governing elders here. She's going to bring a testimony to get us all encouraged. Amen. Amen. Good morning, you guys. Who's excited to be here in the house of God this morning? Well, I have an awesome opportunity to share you a testimony about my life. Um, how many of you guys know how to play the church game? Can you raise your hand if you can play the church game where you know how to say the right things and everybody thinks you're, you're living right, but you're not? That was me. That was me. And let me tell you, for a really long time growing up in church, I really knew how to play the game well. I did have an encounter with Jesus, but when I got to my college years, I started falling away from the Lord, and I was completely backslidden, but I still kept playing the game. But I'm so thankful, though, that when I came here to Metro Praise, man, my life completely changed, not just because of the awesome people in this church, but because of Jesus. I'm so glad that he gives us second, third, fourth chances. And, man, when God spoke to my heart, he said, man, it's either my way or the highway. It's either 100% or no percent at all. You can't play this church game. And I'm so glad that God opened my eyes to see that there is true life, true meaning of life, and all that I need found in him if I was just honest with who I was. And let me tell you, even though it was hard sometimes to come to him and say, man, this is who I really am, God welcomed me with open arms and said, it's okay, let's start again. And God has just changed my life so much, I am not the same. So I'm thankful for the love of God this morning. There's a scripture I want to share with you this morning, and it's found in my favorite book of the Bible, Isaiah 54, chapter, um, chapter 54, sorry, chapter 55, verse 6. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. So let's turn to the Lord this morning. Let us come to him, because he's not going to turn us away. Come on, let's just close our eyes with me and let's pray this morning. Father God, we just want to thank you for your love, for your grace. We thank you, God, that you give us second, third, fourth chances. And I pray that this morning, that if there's somebody playing the game, God, if there's somebody, Lord, that doesn't know you, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would open up our eyes to see that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that there is love like no other found in you, God. And we worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Put your hands together. Come on, we're going to sing this song. It talks about who Jesus is, that he is on our side. Come on, sing it with us. God is fighting. God is fighting for us. God is on our side. He has overcome. He has overcome. We will not be shaken. We will not be moved. Jesus, you are here. Come on, say, carrying our burdens. Carrying our burdens. Covering our shame. He has overcome. He has overcome. We will not be shaken. We will not be moved. Jesus, you are here. Say, I will live, not die. I will live. I will not die. The resurrection power of Christ alive in me, and I am free in Jesus' name. I will live, I will live, I will not die, I will declare and live too high. Christ revealed, and I am healed in Jesus' name. 
God is fighting for us. God is on our side. He has overcome. Yes, he has overcome. We will not be shaken. We will not be moved. Jesus, you are here. Carrying our burdens. Carrying our burdens. Covering our shame. He has overcome. Yes, he has overcome. We will not be shaken. We will not be moved. Jesus, you are here. I live. I will live. I will not die. A resurrection power of Christ alive in me. And I am free in Jesus' name. We're free in you, Lord. I'll live. I will live. I will not die. I will declare and lift you high. Christ revealed. Jesus day. God is fighting. God is fighting for us. God is on our side. He has overcome. Come on, sing it out. We will not, we will not be shaken. We will not be moved. Jesus, you are. Come on, you believe that. Say carrying our burdens. Carrying our burdens. Covering our shame. He has overcome. He has overcome. We will not be shaken. We will not be moved. Jesus, you are here. I will live. I will not die. I will declare the in Christ alive in me. And I am free in Jesus' name. I will live. I will not die. I will declare and live to high. Christ with Put your hands together. Let's Lord, we lift up your name this morning. Come on, can you lift up the name of Jesus where you're at right now? Go say, God, we worship you. We praise you. We lift up your name, God. You're worthy to be praised, Jesus. We glorify you. We lift up the name that is higher than any other name. Jesus, say God is, God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of Jesus, enemies defeated, and we will shout it out. Come on, say it again. God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of Jesus, enemies defeated. And we will Can you shout it out, shout it out. God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of Jesus, enemies defeated. And we will shout it out. Come on, lift up a shout of praise in this place. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. We praise you, we praise you, we praise you, Jesus. God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that cannot be Sing it out, church. In the name of Jesus, enemies defeated, we will shout it out, shout it out. Oh, God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that, that will not be shaken. shaken. 
welcome you in this room, Holy Spirit. We welcome you in this room, Holy Spirit, to have your way. Can you just say that with me? Say, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. We welcome you, Holy Ghost. Break every chain, break every 
break every chain, break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. This morning to break every chain, break. Every chain this morning, Jesus, all over this place, God, break every chain, Lord. We believe in Hallelujah. Won't you break every chain? Break every chain. Won't you break every chain this morning, God? Come on, if you know that something's keeping you from Jesus this morning, that's why we're singing this song, is because we believe in freedom. We believe that Jesus came, died on a cross to purchase our freedom. Freedom from doing the things that you know are wrong. Come on, there's freedom from that. If there's something keeping you from Jesus this morning, from living 100% for him, come on, right now is your chance to say, God, break me free. Come on, right where you're standing, right where you're at, I want you to put your hand on your heart, if that's you. Come on, if that's you, something's keeping you from living for God. Put your hand on your heart as a sign to Him. Say, Jesus, break every chain in my heart. Break those things that keep me from you. Break those addictions, God, that hold me down. Break that attitude, oh God, that I keep raising up, oh God, to stop me from you. Come on, break those things over my life. Right now, in the name of Jesus. Come on, you and him. Come on, speak to him this morning. Break every chain, God. In this place, Lord. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power. On every eye closed over this room. Come on, if it's your first time here or your hundredth time, can you just do that with me? Just close your eyes all over this room. Let's not get distracted, man. Jesus is here. Whether you believe it or not, whether you think it's a fantasy or not, Jesus is here. The real, real Jesus, God in the flesh, come on, is here in this place. Come on, we break unbelief in this room, Lord. We break, oh, Father God, false beliefs about who you are. God, we break fear in this room, Jesus. We bind it in the name of Jesus right now. Right now, Jesus. We bind it, Lord. We bind every addiction, God. Every addiction. Every addiction, Lord. We bind it right now in the name of Jesus. Every stronghold of the enemy, God, that would come up against you, God, we bind it right now in the name of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus right now over your church, God. Come on, as your eyes are closed, as your hands are raised, come on, we surrender to you, God. We surrender it all to you, Jesus. 
We surrender our lives to you, God. Jesus. I hear those chains falling. I hear those chains falling. Ooh. I hear those chains falling. Church, I hear. respond to that word right now. Is your house in bondage right now? Is there a family member in your home that doesn't know Jesus? I want you to raise your hand right now. If you're in a home where there needs to be freedom. Come on, stand in the gap for your family right now and start lifting up. Start lifting up your family and say they're free in Jesus' name. Come on, the Holy Spirit already told us right now, come on, that they're free. Come on, stand in the gap for your home right now. Jesus. You're bringing freedom. You're bringing deliverance to our homes, to our families, Jesus. Yes, we believe it. We believe it. We believe it. Come on, cry out for your home. Cry out for your wife. Cry out for your husband, your children. Cry out for your cousins. 
Lord, bring them freedom in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You bring freedom. You bring freedom to every home, every home. Jesus. There's freedom. 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 Just speak that over your home, over your family. Say that. There's freedom. There's freedom. There's freedom. There's freedom. There's freedom. There's freedom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We can fool everyone else. We can put a smile on our face. But God can see right into the heart of us. Come on, there's somebody out there. You've been playing the game. You can fool everyone else. But Jesus is looking at your heart right now. Come on, your heart that's broken, your heart that's been disappointed. Jesus is calling out to you. He's calling out to you. He's calling out to you. Come on, let him in. Right now, I know God is speaking to someone. He's looking deep, deep, deep down inside into your heart. He's calling to you. 
Just say, Lord, I let you in. I let you into my heart, God. Just let him in. We open up our hearts to you this morning, Jesus. We let you in, God. We let you in, Lord. Jesus, we worship you this morning. Let's lift up our hands all across this room. We let you in, God. We invite you into our lives and to deep places, God, the areas that are hurting, the areas, God, that need healing. We invite you in, Jesus. We bless your name this morning, oh God. We're going to sing Break the Chains one more time. And as we do, I just want you to lift up your family. And I want us as a church, as a body of Christ, to lift up Chicago together. If you could hold the hand of the person next to you, just raise it up in the air. The name of Jesus is powerful. And we believe when the body of Christ is united, the gates of hell will be shaken. There is power in the name of Jesus. God, we lift up Chicago to you, Jesus. Oh, send revival to your churches. We pray for a revolution, God, in our culture. Save our colleges. Save our high schools, our grammar schools, our teachers, our principals, our politicians. Expose, God, all the wickedness. Chicago belongs to you. Let's sing it out. There's power. There's power in the name of Jesus. God. Oh, be glorified. King of kings and Lord of lords over this city. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap this morning. Praise and praise and praise. 
him. He is worthy. He is worthy. Woo! Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. At this time, we are going to dismiss our children. They could follow their school teachers. If your children are all not ready in this group, ages 5 to 11 year, year old are now dismissed. You could follow them to the back. Everybody else, you may take your seats this morning. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here at Metro Praise International. And I'm going to preach the gospel to you this morning. How many of you guys want to hear the good news of Jesus? Come on. If you could please turn with me to your Bibles to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 through 16. I just want to let you know this morning that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. He is good and what he does is good. Always remember that. I know I've been saying that a lot lately, but it's in my spirit. God is good. If you're with me at 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16, say I'm there. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. This message is for those of you in this room this morning who do not know Jesus. You've never been born again. You've never asked Jesus to come and live inside of your heart, to have a personal relationship with him. And for those of you who may have done that for a little bit and then straight away and you are backslidden, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he's saying, listen, I'm telling you the truth. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus, fully God and fully man, left the glory of heaven to become like us so that he could save us. There was no other way. There was no other plan. It is by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on that cross that we can have eternal life. And Paul was saying, I'm the worst of sinners. And the reason why he said that was because he had Christians persecuted and killed because they believed in Jesus. And he's saying that through my life, I was shown mercy and God's patience was revealed in my life. And I hear it so many times from people. I'm too bad of a sinner for Jesus to forgive me. That is exactly who Jesus came to save. Look to your neighbor, say, I'm a sinner too. Your sin is not bigger or smaller than mine. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I want to tell you this morning, God has mercy for you. And he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. But do not mistake his patience for tolerance of your sin. Because the Bible also says that there will come a time that he will judge every act of disobedience. Today is a day for salvation. Today is a day to say, Jesus, I love you. I believe you died on the cross for me. There is no other way. I surrender. Today is that day you are not promised tomorrow. And the reason why week after week pastors could come up here 
and plead with you is because we understand that there is a hell. We will either spend eternity in heaven with the glories of Jesus, or you will spend eternity in hell, in hell fire, away from the presence of God. And today is a day for you to make that decision. With every head bowed and all eyes closed all across this room, if you feel Jesus, the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, he is speaking to you. And today is a day to respond. Not when you go home and, and throw out the booze. Not when you go home and break up with a boyfriend who wants nothing to do with God. Right now, say, Jesus, I surrender. I'm going to wait a couple of seconds and give you some silence. Jesus, move on the hearts of men and women in here that need to get their life right with you. We thank you for your great mercy and your patience because you want all of us to be saved, God, all to come to a saving knowledge of who you are. And I pray, God, that you would bring conviction right now, that you would break hard hearts and turn hard hearts into a heart of flesh, that they would repent to you, Jesus, ask you to come and fellowship with them so that they could be born again. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Please stand up to your feet with me this morning. We're going to have some leaders here. Leilani and somebody else is a young man. Rudy, if you could please join Leilani. And they are going to be there during the fellowship time to pray with you. If you know you need to get right with Jesus, please see them. If you want to get plugged in, become a disciple, have somebody mentor you, please see them. Amen? Because God wants to have a relationship with you. Praise God. Right now we're going to get ready to confess our confession of faith. And the reason why we do this week after week is because we want to profess to the world our Christian worldview. If you need a handout of this, you could read it in front of you. Please raise your hand. We'll give some time for the ushers. If you could just keep it up and wave it if you want a handout. Okay, it doesn't seem like anybody wants one. You could always have a handout to take home or read in front of you. Oh, somewhere over here. Amen. On the count of three, let's uh, recite this out loud together. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible, God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone and Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap and find somebody that you've never met and give them a handshake.
International. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You all can make your way back to your seats. Look to your neighbor, say it's so good to see you this morning. Look to your other neighbor, say, would it be the same without you? Would it be the same without you? Amen. Welcome to Metro Praise. Our services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and every Friday at 7 p.m. for our, our teenagers. Elevate. Oh, come on, you could do better than that. Every Friday at 7 p.m., elevate. Woo, come on, you, gotta, you guys gotta represent a little bit better, okay? So if you don't, you know, if you don't meet the standard, I'm gonna have you repeat it, so that was a lot better. Because we gotta be excited about the young people, right? Teenagers gotta win their high schools for Jesus. So those are our two main services, and uh, today is our baptismal Sunday. Somebody get excited! Woo! New believers, rededicated believers, making a public declaration, obedience to Jesus, to say, I live for Christ. How exciting is that? Thank you to all those who have loved ones who are getting baptized today. Friends and family, thank you for coming and supporting them. It is going to be a powerful, powerful time. We are just so thankful to have this beautiful, beautiful tank. Who's excited about our beautiful, beautiful tank? No more kiddie pools. God is good. Thank you again for all those that made it happen. And we are so excited about what God is going to do today. Amen. Our vision here at MPI is simple. It's loving God and loving people. It's the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to the church. He gave to believers. Love God and love people. Look to your neighbor say, it's simple. And then our discipleship strategy is threefold. We want to connect, mentor, and send. And the way that we connect here at MPI is through our life groups. Somebody say life groups. We are so excited about our life groups. There's four different, cat- three different categories. Pick one that meets your need, your family's needs, and we'd like to give you a snapshot. All this information is in the back of your handout, so if you did not receive one, they are being passed out. Just raise your hand or wait patiently. All the information is back there, but this is our snapshot of our week. So this is what's happening starting today, okay? So today, after baptismal, uh, after all the baptisms, we're having restaurant revival. If you've never heard about it or been to one, you've got to go. So immediately following the baptism, there's a group of people. You need more information. Please see Ishmael or Robin Lopez or just find some of the crazy young folk because they're probably going to be there. 
and just follow them to Mama Luna's. It's going to be about $10 each. And we're going to, oh, Ishmael, raise your hand just so people can know where to go. Restaurant Revival, right after service. Woo! Amen. Awesome. And then tonight is our Encounter Night Life Group. That is every Sunday at 5 o'clock with Pastor Chris and Vanessa. Just soak in the glory. Go after God. Single Moms Life Group is also meeting today. Give it up for the Sunday Life Groups. They're going on. Single Mamas, 5 p.m. Come on out with a bang for Jesus. King's Kids every Wednesday. This week is actually our family fun night. We're having a movie night. So come on, have fun with your children. And it's just going to be such a fun time. That's this Wednesday at 6.30 for King's Kids. This Thursday is our Thanksgiving outreach. Now listen, this is something that we do annually. So on Thanksgiving Day, look to your neighbor say, on Thanksgiving Day. We are meeting here at 9.30 in the morning, and we're partnering with a church on the west side, and we're going to feed uh, the people there that are in need. We're going to be ministering to them, praying for them, just really, really giving back to the community. So if you have a desire, a heart to do that, please meet us this Thursday here at this location, 9.30, and we're all going to go out to the west side together, and we will end at a time where you can meet up and have um, Thanksgiving with your family. Amen. And then Friday, uh, the Adult Life Group at Pastor Berto and Griselda's house. Every Friday, they meet at 7 p.m. If you just want something solid, a Bible study, you got to go there. And then Saturday is our Evangelism Life Group, going out, preaching the gospel, 5 p.m. If you want to see Chicago One for Jesus, go street witnessing. Come on, join them every Saturday at 5. Amen? And then we want to mentor you. This is our second phase in discipleship strategy. We have a 101 book, Welcome to Your New Life. We have leaders in place to take you through that. And then our discipleship book, or our 201 book, Disciples That Make Disciples, because we believe that every leader should be trained, every believer should be trained to be a leader in the house of God. And that we want to send you out to evangelize to the lost on your job, your family, on the streets. And our goal here at MPI is to have 100,000 disciples with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you believe we could do that, say amen. Woo, God can do it by his spirit, amen. Who loves to give? Woo, come on. Oh, I like that. Somebody made some noise there. We're going to prepare to give our tithes and offering at this time. If you could please turn with me to your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 36 through 37. And if you've been keeping up with the daily devotionals, this is where this comes from. So if you've been reading the devotionals, then you'll know this lesson. Amen. Acts 4, 36-37, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And the reason why this is such an awesome example, this man, who is known by the name of Barnabas, the apostles changed his name because he was such an encourager and such a giver. He was generous in the house of God. And the story uh, you know, it gives us this picture where it doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. Because so many people, when it comes to giving your tithe and your offering, which we believe a tithe is a 10% of your total income. And then an offering is anything above that, an amount between you and the Lord that we here designate towards building and missions. See, it's easy to think, oh, if I was rich or so-and-so is rich, it's easier for them to give. It's not like that. You know why? Because generosity is a matter of the heart. It doesn't matter how much, how much you have or how li little you have. That doesn't determine the level of your generosity. If you, are, if you are not a faithful tither, you can't be generous. 
So my challenge to you this morning, for us to learn from Barnabas, he was able to give it all up because he says to God, what I have is yours. He wanted to bless the church. So let's learn from this man. For 2,000 years ago, he was able to do something that has inspired Christians all throughout this time to be generous, to put God first in our finances, to trust him. Because if we can't trust God with our tithe, with 10%, you can't trust God with your family, you can't trust God with your future, with your job, nothing. And so if we are faithful to God, he will be faithful to us. Amen? Please stand up to your feet with me this morning. God is good. He is faithful. When we put him first on our finances, we, we will see him come through. There are testimonies all across this room of faithful tithers years and years and years that have been giving to the Lord faithfully, and he has come through. Amen? Let's recite this uh, scripture verse together, Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness and for your word. That there are so many examples in your word, God, of men and women who sacrificially gave to you. And I pray that they would be an encouragement to us today to be generous, to trust you in our finances, to put you first in all things, and you will meet our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We lift up MPI to you, God, this morning. We pray that you would meet our budget this month to go above and beyond so that we could reach Chicago for Jesus and the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Please come forward as you give this morning. Man, how many love Jesus? Can I get an amen? <laughs> All right, open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. I tried to come up with something like reggae man, amen. I don't know if they do that, but I tried. Hey, I just want to thank everybody here that helped make this baptism possible. Uh, as you can see, our church doesn't have a baptismal tank built into it because uh, we have taken over a dollar store and made it into a money store for the gospel, not making money in offering, but making treasures of heaven. Amen. And uh, we needed a baptismal tank, and we were using a kiddie pool, and we were using rivers and lakes and all types of stuff. And then the church got together and did it in style. So can we just bless the Lord for everybody that gave? Thank you. And the Lord put it on our heart. You know, a lot of churches are like us, may not have one. The Lord put it on our, on our heart that anybody wants to borrow it, any other ministry, we're going to let them borrow it. All that we ask is that the banner goes with it right here. Chicago for Jesus. Amen. It's all about Jesus. It's not about one church. It's about the church of Jesus Christ. We got some special guests here today. I'm going to let Pastor Jared introduce them. Let's give it up for Pastor Jared as he comes.
man. Uh, just got some great men here from Teen Challenge. Uh, three of them are getting baptized. The three of you getting baptized, would you stand up? Uh, well, we got Jaime over here. Uh, this is uh, Brother Jaime, and this is Anthony, and then we got Mario over here, and he's with his, with his mom and his stepdad. Uh, God bless you guys. So proud of them and what God is doing in their lives. I've seen them. Well, I, I see these guys from day one. I see the picture they take when they first come in, the Polaroid, you know, looking droopy. And then I just see what God does. It's like a, it, I do see the transformation on a regular basis. It's such a blessing to work with, with all these guys. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for them. And Jared, why don't you stay up, stand up here? Let's get all the Teen Challenge guys to stand up that came here today. Teen Challenge is a drug and alcohol rehab for men and women all over the country. We have one in Chicago. Pastor Jared works at it. The men travel all around. I'd like to have you guys come back and do some of the choir singing and all that. And uh, we just want to pray for you guys today. Is that all right? Um, you know, I was a high school dropout at the age of 16, incarcerated eight times by, by the time I was an adult, okay? I was tore up from the floor up, needing to check up from the neck up. Did you hear me, baby? Okay, see, we talking the same talk right now, okay? And Jesus Christ saved me by his power and his grace, November 5th, 1995, amen? That's been 18 years. Brought me back to school, got a GED, Bible college. Now I have a master's degree, happily married, three children. The fourth one's in the oven, baby, come on. And so I just want to encourage Teen Challenge men that you can do it. God will do it for you no matter your age, what you're going through. Just hang with it. And here's something, don't ever be ashamed of your testimony, amen, because people won't understand the glory unless they know your story, baby. They got to know where you came from, amen. We need a culture. Hey, keep standing. Keep standing. We need, a, we need a culture that understands that God redeems people. Amen? No matter where they're from. I'm going to ask that Brother Ricky would come up here, one of our pastoral elders, as they're standing, and I'm going to lay hands on Jared. I'm going to ask that he would just pray a blessing over these men today because uh, we want to see God do more of this in Chicago. Amen? And, of course, Pastor Ricky, he just left uh, for a minute. Let's get Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris, come on up. We're going to clap for you. We're going to pretend like you were the one always meant to pray. Come on, you got a better prayer than Brother Ricky. Go ahead and drop it like it's hot. Father God, we, we lift up, Lord God, Brother Jared and all of Teen Challenge, God, and the ones getting baptized today, God. We pray that you bless them, Lord God. The ministry, Lord God, the best is yet to come for that ministry, Lord God. More salvations, more transformations, more revelations, Lord God, in the mighty name of Jesus, God. Bless them, Lord God. Let, let the path, Lord God, be straight for them, Lord God. Let them see the light at the end of the tunnel, Lord God, going through their trials and tribulations, God. And, Lord God, let them be faithful as they go through it because they will learn and they will see your glory in the end. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Thank you. Well, open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We're in a series ending sermon today. Brother, would you put the slide up, please? Heroes of the faith. How many believe in our culture today we need some real heroes? I mean, it's hard to find them. You can't look to music anymore. You got people twerking, dropping it like it's hot in a bad way. You know, you used to be able to look up to baseball players and football players. Now these guys are getting in trouble with drugs and money. It just broke my heart to see the other day an athlete, star athlete, commit suicide. You know, uh, fame doesn't bring happiness. We understand that. 
You know, sometimes you think you can look up to business people, maybe a good job, get a good college education. But you know some of the corruption we see today on college campuses. College coach was just arrested for uh, molesting children or the businesses, Enron, stealing money from the people. So where do we look in our culture? Can we look to politicians? Can we look to athletes? Do we, do we look to sports and, and uh, famous people's reality TV? No, I believe we need to look to the Bible. I believe we need to go back to the Bible between Genesis and Revelation and find some people there that were just like us, ordinary people who had faith in an extraordinary God that could do superordinary things. So today I want to talk to you about three of these people. Two of them are women. Can I get a whoop whoop for the women? Come on, we're going to talk about some women in the church today. Deborah, Hannah, and David. These are the three people we're going to talk about, heroes of the faith. And before I get started, I want to let you know online, lifechangingdevotions.com has free devotion sent to your email if you would like it or you can go to our website and all this month I've been writing on these heroes of the faith so you can be encouraged by them but if you're in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 can you say I'm there this is called the hall of faith of the Bible it's where we look to see how these people did what they did the author of Hebrews is unknown but his writings are scriptural because they have the divine uh, spark the the uh, breath of God on them you know sometimes your neighbor has bad breath and you can tell if they were eating some Mexican or garlic you might know what I'm talking about some tacos some burrito you know what I'm saying but uh, how do we know what scripture is because it has the breath uh, the smell of God on it it's not like reading you know the uh, you know, it's not like reading Oprah Winfrey's magazine or, you know, lo looking at a blog. When you're reading the Bible, you're hearing the very words of Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews gives us the secret. So you don't have to pay $9.99 for it and get a bottle of holy water with a special trinket and the mother of Guadalupe to go with it. This is all you need to be good in the kingdom of God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is. Somebody say, now faith is. Thank you. Now faith is. Faith is a now thing. Believing in God is now. You can't just say I did it when I was a kid. And you can't just say my parents did it for me. Now faith is. It's a present day belief and trust in God. Now faith is. Confidence in what we hope for. And assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. What made Noah build an ark when everybody thought he was crazy? He had faith. He had confidence in what he didn't see, but trusted the God that spoke to his heart. You see, you can see people, and they'll lie and let you down. But you may not see God, but hear his voice, and he'll never let you down. So some people say, I want to see it to believe it. Even you seeing it, baby, don't make you believe it. There's guys telling girls all the time, I love you, baby. I love you, baby. Hey, you saw that. Does it make it true? Just because a guy said it? Hello, ladies. Faith is actually more powerful than the things we see. And I could give you the philosophical argument for this in a, in a short little way that's called the cosmological argument, which is this, something does not come from nothing. Nothing has to either stay nothing or it cannot create anything. It stays in a state of nothingness. So for the universe to begin, number one, there had to be something. Number two, that something had to create everything that is. And number three, everything that is, that is today, has to be for the something that created it. So why are you here today? 
You can't say I don't have a purpose because you didn't come from nothing. You came from something, the something we call God. So why did God put you here? Now you need to talk to that something to understand the purpose of why you're here. And that something will speak to you through your heart and you trusting and believing in him is faith. Faith is to say that something that created everything has a purpose for me even though I don't see him or I don't see the future. Does anybody here have a crystal ball that they brought with them that they see the future? Any Madam Cleos here, 1-900 making, number, uh, making money telling the future? Nobody can see the future, but guess what? The one who created you can see the future. He knows what the future looks like. And if you're with him, check this out, you look a lot better than you look right now. He sees you in the future blessed, and he sees you prospering, and he sees you saved if you want to go with him. But if you want to stay the way you are, he sees you perishing and going to hell for eternity. He already knows the future, but he allows you to make the choice. He's given you the choice. And sometimes people get all upset at God and shake their fists and say, why did you allow my dad to abandon my family? Why do you allow evil to happen to good people? That's because God gives all people choice, good and evil. If you're tired of seeing evil in the world, start making good choices, and you'll see good come to this world. There's 500 murders in Chicago a day. It's not be, uh, a year. It's not because the devil's making somebody pull the trigger. People in their own free will are not obeying God's commands. But if you want 500 acts of kindness, why don't you start one tomorrow, and we'll start a revolution of loving God and loving people. How about we try that? How about we follow God's commands? Now faith is, somebody say now faith is, number one it's confidence and number two it's assurance. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. I am confident that the God who created everything has a purpose and plan for your life and mine. I am then assured of that by his promises that he's already kept. How do you know that inner voice inside of you that's speaking to your spirit? How do you know you can trust that voice? Because sometimes we lie to ourselves. Have you ever lied to yourself? You might want to look at your neighbor's outfit. They might have lied to themselves this morning putting that thing on. Come on. Uh, be nice. But, you know, look at, my, look at your neighbor. <laughs> We're judging each other now. Forgive me. But you know what I'm talking about. We, we sometimes lie to ourselves. If you don't understand that, look at a picture of you 10 years ago. And you'll say, why did I do my hair like that? Why did I dress like that? Why was I hanging out with that person? You know, we lie, you know uh, the old saying is true. The lies that we tell the loudest and the most often are the lies we tell ourselves. You know, so how do you know that God is not a liar? Why should you have hope and assurance in God? Maybe your inner voice is uh, deceiving you. Maybe there's another God by a different name. It's not Jesus. Well, you know how we can trust Jesus? Is we go back through his words and see if the words he's already spoken have come to pass. Do you know that in Matthew chapter 24, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood before the people and saw the great temple of Jerusalem. They were all looking at it, and he he said the time will come you will see it that not one stone here will be left upon another it will be torn down and you'll have to run and hide for your lives in 70 AD the Roman Empire ransacked Jerusalem tore down the temple and made it rubble Jesus kept his word
Do you know that the Bible also says that in the last days, certain signs would follow here that Jesus said, you could be sure that I'm on my way. Here's one thing that he said. He said, false Christ will come and say, they're me. Now, have you ever heard anybody walk around saying, I'm Buddha? Have you ever heard somebody walk around saying, they're Muhammad? But do you know right now, there's over a thousand people from the Jesus of Puerto Rico living in Miami to a man living in the Philippines to a person in Russia to David Koresh and the like have thousand people in our lifetime have called themselves Jesus literally having followers as they worship what they think is Jesus you know that Jesus also said that the attention of the world before I came back will be on the Middle East and that this will be the center conflict of all the world and that people will rise up against Israel well first of all do you know that after 70 AD Israel was ransacked it wasn't even a nation anymore but in 1946 Israel became a nation again imagine being away from your homeland for over 1800 years almost 2000 years and you not having any place to call home no capital no government but yet you keep your heritage together and at the right time you and your people can move back to the land that happened in 1949 and then what has happened since then uh 46 all of the wars and rumors of wars that have surrounded the middle east i wrote a book on islam in the back there have been centered around the people of Israel. The reason why Muslims hate us as much as they do is because we support Israel in the Middle East. They want Israel to be wiped off the planet. Ask the president of Iran, Ahmadinejad, talk to the people of Egypt. What the biggest problem they have with the West is that we support Israel. Jesus predicted that 2,000 years ago. Somebody say, drop it like it's hot. Thank you. Then I'll give you two more reasons to trust Jesus' words and not just some person walking around today claiming to be Jesus. Jesus said that in the end times there would be people dying of famine. Now you would think that that would be kind of a shot in the dark because if time goes on, technology gets better, there should be more food. Less people should be hungry, right? Well, look at your neighbor. The food isn't the problem. It's okay. Look at your neighbor. I'm that pastor picking on your neighbors today. Look at your neighbor, including me. I think we got enough food. But why are there people starving around the world today? There's enough food to feed everybody. Have you ever thought about that? There's enough food in just America that we throw in the trash to feed the billion people that are hungry around the world. But why is that food not getting there? Because of corruption in governments. Have you ever heard of Dofar, Ethiopia? These nations are not doing what's right by their people. Right now, I've already talked to people from the Philippines, and they're saying some of the government there is corrupting the aid that we're giving to them. I saw this in New Orleans, lived there eight years when Katrina happened, couldn't even get the relief to the people because of corruption. Jesus predicted people would be starving in the last days, though we have all this technology. It's a sign of corruption and sin. And then the last thing that he said is that there would be earthquakes, not just any kind of earthquakes, but earthquakes in various places. And we see these happening all over the world. The increase of earthquakes as what we know tsunamis happening in the ocean and then sending forth these massive tidal waves wiping out tens of thousands of people. We don't rejoice over what happened in Haiti. We don't rejoice in what happened in the tsunami of the Southeast Asia. But we look at it and say, like, never before have we seen these kinds of signs. Somebody say, I got confidence. Now, the assurance that you have in Jesus comes from your personal testimony. See, if you want to have faith, like the three people I'm going to talk about, look at your neighbor and say, this is just the introduction. I haven't even got to the message yet, all right, man? It's baptism day. It's have fun day, amen? This is like my Super Bowl, amen? This is like overtime. 
If you want to have great faith, you've got to be confident. Well, I just gave you reasons to be confident in Jesus Christ. He's a man of his word. How about raising from the dead on the third day? That's a pretty big sign, isn't it? Could have started with that one, amen? Got to write that down next time. But you know, assurance is something that comes from more than just knowing head knowledge and fact. Assurance has to be something you have personally. Now faith is confidence of what we hope for. Okay, I've studied it out. I've got confidence. And assurance about what we don't see. Well, how do you get that personal assurance? You yourself have to have a personal relationship with God that you know that you know that God is on the inside of you because all those facts and all those figures that I just said, you can know and still bust hell wide open. You can go to hell in a choir rope. You can go to hell graduating from Bible college. You can go to hell working at the Red Cross in the united way you can go to hell praying seven times a day fasting every day of your life because only those who go to heaven is not by works but by the grace of jesus christ ephesians chapter 2 we are saved by grace through faith which is not of ourselves lest any man should boast so how can you truly test if the God of the Bible is who he said he is and will do what he said he will do? You need to have a personal relationship with him. It's not just good enough for you to study about him, talk about him, and to go to church on Christmas and Easter as a priester and say, I'm all good, man. I, I, you know, I believe in that guy. Well, does believing in Abraham Lincoln change your life? Does believing in Martin Luther King Jr. change your life? You see, the kind of faith that Jesus wants you to have is an assurance that you know that you know he's the Lord of your life. He's forgiven your sins. He has made you a new creation. Old things have passed away and everything has become new. That you are saved from who you used to be and now you're who you're supposed to be. If you have that kind of faith, you will have an assurance of who God is. Other than that, you're looking from the outside in, and no matter how much we who have been on the inside try to convince you, it will never assure you unless you've experienced it yourself. As the old saying goes, that the man with an argument is never at the mercy of the person, uh, excuse me, the man with the testimony is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. You can argue all day long what you think the moon is like, what it's like to walk on the moon. But unless you're Buzz Aldrin or the few that got to walk up there, you don't know what it's like to walk on the moon. You can try to tell me that God uh, allows you to sin and you really will never be set free from your sin and being this way is the way you're always going to be. But you don't know what it's like to be changed. You don't know what it's like to be set free from going to be oppressed and depressed to being happy to get a pep in yourself. You see, you can't argue me out of what I've experienced I came to my mother's kitchen table November 5th 1995 with drugs in my pocket as an 18 year old fornicator having sex outside of marriage with the uh, you know living with a girl I wasn't married to and at that table I argued with my mom see I argued about God and she was trying to put me uh, I was trying to go into a drug rehab and she was saying I need to get saved first and we were arguing I said God doesn't exist he's like the tooth fairy and you could tell that that took her patience not to slap me across the face but that argument that I had towards my mom didn't change that God existed. A man in a dark cell can scratch out all the windows and put out black all everywhere and say the sun doesn't exist, but it doesn't change the sun from rising. A man can stand on a building and jump off and say, I don't believe in gravity. It doesn't stop him from falling. But I experienced God that day not because of argument, but because of a person. Have you been born again? How many have been born again? Do you know that you're born again? 
You see, then you can have assurance today of what you don't see. You might say, Pastor, I don't know if I can trust faith. Has anybody here ever gone on a bridge? Anybody here ever traveled on a bridge? Do you know anything about physics? Do you know anything about construction? Most of us don't, but it took faith to go on that bridge. How did you get here? Why are you here? And where are you going when you die? None of those things you can see. But you can trust in a God who knows that. You can trust in a God that knows exactly how you got here. You can trust in a God that knows exactly why you're here, knows the hairs on your head, knows a thought before you think it. He's mind-blowing. He will blow your mind. And he knows where you're going. See, I believe in that, even though I don't see it. Let me give you another example. How many parents do I have here with children? Do you love your children? Amen. Can you show me that love? Show me love. Well, I'll hug my daughter. I'll do that. Well, can a child molester hug and do that too? You see, if I can imitate, uh, uh, rather, if a child molester can imitate everything that I do as love, then what is love? Well, I tell my daughter I love them. Well, a molester can say they love them. I, I can give them something to eat every day. A molester can give them something to eat every day. See, what is love? Love is selflessness. The child molester is selfish. And that's why we have prison cells and hopefully death penalties. Amen. God forbid, but I use an extreme example for us to understand. See, love is not just a little, little shallow action. That's why marriages fall apart all the time. We say it's love. No, you, you're, you're just wanting to get it on. You know, you, 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 you just want sex. You just want to be with somebody because you're alone. Call it what it is, codependency, a buddy. That's not love. Love suffers long. Love does not fail. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't what you find in the club. Love isn't what Oprah Winfrey has because she's not even married. Are you all listening to me? You can't find it, and you can't paint it red and sell it at the store for $5.99 so women can wear it with their handbag like an accessory. Well, I got love. Love is something on the inside that either you know that you have or you don't. You're either assured that it's there or it's not. And then in a relationship with somebody else, you have to trust, have faith that they have it. Every time I tuck my daughter into bed at night, she has faith and trust that I will protect her as she sleeps. Amen? And that's why I keep a shotgun in the house. Praise God. And I'll be cleaning it when her first guy friend comes over. And I'll, I won't be chewing tobacco, but I'll pretend like I am. So you want to see my daughter? huh? So what you want to do with her? You know, I'm just kidding. I lived in the South too long. So you, you got to trust that the other person has love. Show me. I've done so many marriages up here at these altars and around the city. Show me what love is that makes that couple stay together. Show it to me. We can't, Pastor. We know it's here. How do you know it's there? Because I can feel it. Do you see her love? No, but I, I can feel her love. You know, that's what makes us different than animals. I know animals can feel some type of, uh, you know, social bonding to us. But, you know, they also eat their doo-doo and they chase their tails. We're not animals. Have you noticed what makes us different? 
is that you see, we want to fall in love. We want that, that relationship. We don't want to go around having sex really with all these other dogs and act like an animal. We really just want to fall in love. And we don't want our children to grow up as bastard children without their parents in some animal kingdom way, dog eat dog world. We all know on the inside it's different than that, but we don't know how to get that and we become our worst enemies until we come to Christ and learn what love is. And I came to Christ at the age of 18, and I said, God, I think I, I got a song in my heart that I want to sing to you. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. And God was like, you ain't ready. And I'm like, God, in a year, I'll be ready. So like a year later, I was like, I want to know what love is. And God's like, you ain't ready. You know why? Because I had so much of the world in me that I didn't know trust and assurance and faith. It wasn't until after I'd been a Christian for eight years, or excuse me, 10 years, right, baby? I always get confused. 10 years, a decade. Somebody say a decade. A long decade. Help me, Jesus. But you see, you don't know the glory until you know the story. Come on up here, Nance. Let's give a big hand clap for the pregnant wife right here. Thank you for clapping for my pregnant wife. I just get to do that as the pastor. See, people don't understand the glory until they know the story. And the first time I met her was at an outreach, and my mind was on somebody else, and her heart was with somebody else. But God put it in us, and just a little seed for me. You're, this is for each other. This is for you guys. And I eventually came to work in Chicago, and she knew it was me, and uh, her family knew it was me. She started bringing me Greek rice and Greek food because her family's Greek, just trying to win me over, you know what I'm saying? And uh, bringing food, and I'm just like eating all the food, and I'm like, thank you, and I'm just eating it, you know. I'm just, and then like, psh, the Lord just slapped me one day. Where's Sister Rachel at? Where's right over here? I, we had tried to go out, and it really didn't work. And then we did this uh, Halloween party, and the girls had dressed up like Charlie's Angels going to a night party. And I don't know which one of the angels this hot mama was, but she was wearing some nightgown dress, and she walked by, and Rachel was there. Because I don't get caught. Uh, I shouldn't because I'm a pastor, and I'm holy. So I don't get caught looking at girls. I'm married now, and I'm just getting myself all kinds of trouble. But I was single back then, and she walked by, and I've, I, I mean, I was like that construction worker, man. My eyes just went, whoop, and I just, just like, as she walked by, you know, here she comes, you know, walking down the street, you know, pretty woman. It's just like, hey, man, you know, she just walked on by, and I said, you remember that? And I was like, I got to get me a piece of the Matsaris pie. And now she's Nancy Wyrostic. But that day that we married, that day that we sealed it with a kiss, it was faith in each other faith and what God can do and it changed who I was and I am confident in her and she's confident in me can we give a hand clap for marriage amen let's look let's look at the verse three by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible so how did the world get here God commanded it and created it if you don't have a creator, how do you have a creation? If you say we can have a creation without a creator, then tell me, how do we have anything in this world? 
if things just pop into existence without a creator, there should be nothing in existence or everything we would wish would be in existence. If we can't wish things into existence, then that means we're not the minds behind existence. That means there has to be a mind greater than ours that put things in existence because it's not a nothing world we're living in. It's a something world. But where did it come from? God's command. Let's just summarize that deep thought just like this. God commanded it. Bang, it happened. So do we believe in the big bang? Yes, we just know who what? Who banged it, amen? God said it, bang, it happened. Are you guys with me? Now that we've got that covered, I want to ask you a question. Do you have a personal relationship with God, and do you believe that he's in control of your life? That's got to be personal now. Because the same God that created something out of nothing is the same God that creates something in your life. Out of the nothing or the problems or the things that you have, God creates something beautiful. That's what salvation is. God created something beautiful. Uh, him transforming your life like a caterpillar to a butterfly. Is God transforming your life? Somebody say metamorphosis. It's going from one state to another. Do you want to live the life that pleases your creator, or do you want to now take your life into your own hands? Sometimes people think that they can do better by driving their life than giving the wheel over to Jesus. The question I like to ask those people is, how's it gone for you thus far? How has being the driver of your life gone? How have you accomplished, how well have you accomplished the things in your life? And let's just take the standard answer that I get. Maybe a person will say to me, hey, I'm a good person. I have a family. I have a job. I've done all these things on my own. I don't really need to have God in my life. You know, he might have created everything at one point, but right now I've got it from here. Where does your oxygen come from? Did you create that too? Where do the neurons in your brain that are firing right now come from for you to even talk? Did you create that yourself? How about right now, the very present time you're living in? Did you create time, matter, and space? You see, the fool says in their heart, I don't need God. It's a foolish mindset. Because really, you have no control over anything except the little bit of time and space God borrows to you. And you can be like an atheist and shake your fist and say, I don't want to do things your way. But you will find out very quickly that the few moments you were in this life, the 80 years you were here, were, were like a mist compared to eternity. Because this is just a test. That's why you need a testimony of knowing God. So if you don't come to this God that created everything, and you say like Frank Sinatra, I'm going to do it my way, you'll find at the end of your life that life was never yours. It was a gift God gave to you. The body was just a place he lent you for your soul to dwell in. And now you will perish for eternity. Why? Because you get exactly what you asked for, which is a life with without God and that's what hell is is you living without God without sanity the hell is described as a place of insanity where your memories they flood your mind with regret and you can never stop the anxiety and the torment from your thoughts it's a place of physical pain and torment because there's no joy there's no relaxation there's no sleep and there in that place the God hater the self-made creation deceived by themselves really gets exactly what they wanted, eternity without their creator.
But what is heaven? Is heaven streets of gold? It's more than that. Is it pearly gates? It's more than that. Is it angels? It's more than that. Heaven is creation reunited with its creator. Being in the presence of the Lord, having the fullness of joy. Has a parent here ever been separated from their children and just being united together? You didn't need a meal. You didn't need a car. You didn't need a paycheck. But just being in the parent-child relationship around each other brought tears to your eyes joy to your soul because that relationship was everything anybody know what I'm talking about what is heaven it's a family reunion going to the father being with him forever and dwelling in his presence all the other things are just a byproduct I used to go away for college I lived in New Orleans my family was in Indiana and I would come home and I would always want to do things, you know. Let's go out and do stuff, you know. Let's go out and sled in and let's go to the bowling alley. And uh, I would just forsake my parents, you know, because I was a college student. I, I thought life was in the doing. And as I did that, I would spend so little time with my parents, but all this time running around and doing stuff. I was a Christian at this time. I, I loved God, so it wasn't sinful. But then I began to realize the emptiness I had. And God began to speak to me, your family is more valuable than bowling. And he began to put in my heart as a young college student, the frailty of life. What happens if your mother will die? Have you been with her enough? What happens if today is the last day you see your father? Will you have wished you went bowling more or will you have wished you had spent time with them more? And then I began to leave my youthfulness alone, and I began to grow into the man that I am today. And now when my family comes, we don't need a ball game on. We don't need to go fishing. We just sit in each other's presence, talk about life, and it fills my soul. When Bethany, my child, comes into the room, we don't have to do all of these things. I just want to be by her. And you see, what we need to understand as Christians is that God is saying, will you do that for me now? He's saying, I, I know you want that new house. I, I know you want my blessings. I know you want what's in my hand. But can you just seek my face? I, I know you want to do this, and I know you got to do this, and you've got a phone that tells you you got to do this. But can we just spend time together? Your heavenly Father wants to spend time with you in fellowship. The blessings of God are a side product. They come after the relationship with Jesus Christ. He's asking those of you who are here who say, yes, I know God. Those of you who are saying that, he is saying to you, but do you want to spend time with me? Do you want to develop a relationship with me? Why? Because that relationship is what pleases him and is what will fulfill you. Look at verse 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly, what? Seek him. How many people are going to be people of faith here? You all want to do that? Amen. Let's get to the message. Look at your neighbor and say it's going to get good. Okay, let's talk about these three people here. Number one, Deborah. I want to give you a quick outline here. Deborah represents leadership. Hannah represents the big ask, and David represents victorious living. Three people that we can learn from in the Bible on how to be people of faith. We just don't want to get to heaven not to go to hell. We want to have Jesus in our hearts so heaven comes here and we live in the presence of the Lord. 
That's what faith is. It's pleasing God. It's doing things that please Him. Following His commands. It's just not murdering your neighbor. It's pleasing the Lord by doing that which He wants. Do you want to go beyond just the heaven and hell equation and develop a relationship with God? How about this? Do you want to be a leader? Do you want to be somebody that others can look up to in this world and say, man, what that person has, I want. Have you ever seen anybody like that in your life? I know that growing up in a Christian family, I didn't always live the Christian life, but I could tell in church who was real and who was fake. And it was always the ones that lived it real that I really appreciated. I remember one time some missionaries came by, and uh, I remember just hearing their testimonies, and I go, man, these guys are just a little bit older than me, and they're going on the mission field. I would like to help people like that one day. What if you became that person on your job? You know, we're not talking about dollars and cents that, that people look up to. I mean, really, isn't that shallow? I mean, you're, you're a person just like me that can watch TV, go online. I mean, when someone has money, do you really think of them any differently in the sense of, like, respect? I mean, do you really think of people like that? I know I don't. It's so shallow. We judge people really by the character, don't we? I mean, you see rich people all the time on TV, and you're like, what is that crazy stuff? Jersey Shore and Real Housewives of Orange County. You're like, no, 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 I don't want that, you know? No. Of course, sometimes you can be, uh, you know, as a young person, maybe enamored by the glitter and the fame. But most of us here, wouldn't you say you're discerning enough to tell who's real and who's fake and money doesn't matter? So ask yourself this question. When I'm on my job, am I there just for the money or am I there to be a leader? You see, your company is trying to make money, but it's trying to do it in a way, hopefully, that gives people a product, a service, gives them something that they appreciate. When Christians go to that job, we should do that job as unto Christ, and people there should look up to us and say, I want to be like that person. They whistle while they work. They come early. They stay late. They solve problems. They don't complain. This person makes a difference here. How about your next-door neighbors? Does anybody have neighbors that are cray-cray? Amen. I got some cray-cray neighbors. Oh, I've had some in the past. We almost had the police call and all types of stuff over a bird statue. Don't have time to get in the bird statue fiasco, but it was real, and it got crazy real quick. How about neighbors looking up to your family, coming to you saying, your kids are well-behaved. Your kids respect you. I hear that when you call them in, they come. Have you ever been around parents when they try to come in, call in their kids and they won't come, and then they've got to, like, drag them into the house with them screaming? Does that set a good example for Christ? I was watching a woman buying groceries at the store. Her child wanted something. He couldn't get it. Child fell on the floor, rolling on the ground. Does that set an example? But what if Christians in the family set an example? Where moms and dads weren't something you found on TV sitcoms anymore, but moms and dads and the heroes of our culture were your next-door neighbors, and they were you. You became the person that someone looked up to and said, I want to be a mom like that. I want to be a dad like that. Not just a dad who takes kids to football games and sporting events and teaches them how to cuss and look at dirty magazines, but a dad that teaches the children how to kneel and to pray and honor the wife and raise the family and be humble and admit when they're wrong. Does any men want to be like that today? You see, heroes of the faith are among us when they live like the people of God. They live the life of faith. Heroes are among us. Write this down if you're taking notes or think about it to yourself. Who is the greatest example of Jesus that I've seen in my life? 
Who is the person I've seen that I look up to? Because if it works, it should be working around us. You should have people in your life that you can go, man, I look up to that person. I remember being in Bible college and seeing a godly marriage, and I looked up to them, and I said, that's the kind of marriage I want. And they don't have to be older or younger. It could be anybody. You say, I want that. Now, what do you like about that person? Write down two or three attributes. For those of you who have nobody, write a wish list. I wish there was somebody in my life that had a good family. I wish that there was somebody in my life who loved to do their job unto God. Now, those things that you've written down or thought about, those are the things God wants you to do. You see, those are the things you find valuable. Those are the things that attract you to other people. God wants you to be attraction for other people. You know what means something to me is integrity. When somebody has integrity, I'm attracted to that person. Do you know there's a lot of people that tell lies in our world today? You notice that? Just people lie, man, about how much money they make, the kind of car they drive. Just, you know, people lie all the time about things that really are insignificant, but they just lie and it just adds up to you don't even really know who a person is anymore. But when I meet somebody who's truthful, it's like I'm drawn to that person. How about kindness? You know, it's hard to find kindness in our culture. A lot of people are selfish, looking out for themselves. You know, when they need something, they'll call you up. But when you need something from them, you can't even get a hold of them. What about if we became people of kindness? Look at Deborah. Now, Deborah was a prophet, a woman of Liban, and was leading Israel at the time. After the time of Joshua, Joshua, uh, the judges led the people of Israel. These judges served as prophetic voices that God gave direction through to guide the Israelites and make final decisions and disputes. The book of Judges describes their work in Israel. Some of these people were like Samson and Gideon. Deborah might have been the only woman judge mentioned, but she excelled, excelled in her leadership ability. Somebody say she was a leader. To the point that as a leader, a general said, I won't go to war, Barak said in Judges 4.8, if you go with me, I'll go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. She was such a powerful leader that attracted people to follow her that a general who was supposed to go out and fight and the women were supposed to stay at home said, woman, you're such a powerful example of Christ. I ain't going to battle unless you come with me. Of course, this speaks about the leadership of a woman, how strong women leaders can be in the Bible. That's why we support women pastors and elders here. Though in times there's been restrictions put on women, the general motif of the Bible is that men and women were created both in the image of God and can lead. Though in the home the woman chooses by humility to take the subservient role and serve the husband, but that's just as Christ serving the Father, though the Father and Son are both equal. So we see in this example that it doesn't matter who you are or even at what time and culture you are, if God puts leadership on you, people will follow you even into battle unto death. Does anybody here want to be a Deborah in this culture? Does any mother want to lead their family like Deborah? That children say to the mother, I ain't going, mama, unless you're going. Mama, I'm not dating this person unless you bless them, unless you tell me that person's for me. Any fathers in here want children to follow them? Where your children say, Dad, I want to marry a woman that you like. I want to have a family like you, Dad. I won't go unless you go, Dad. I want to follow your leadership, Paul. 
Is there anybody here that wants to be parents like that? How about on the job? Hey, if we're breaking up in the work teams, I'm on your team. If we're, if we're going to all clean this up, I want to clean it up with you. If we're going to start a new location, I want to be on your team. How many want to hear that on their job? This person's a leader. If they go, I'm going with them. God is looking for Deborah's today. The question that you have to ask yourself is have you wrongly limited the leadership ability that God's placed in your life? You see, God has given you a divine yes that has said, you can do great things for me. You can change the world. But you know what you can have is a human no. He has divine yes, but you have a human no, and that human no can trump his yes. You ever play spades? And you know how the game works. If you have a spade, you can trump what's been laid down. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Has anybody ever played, like, you know, different kinds of card games where if you get the joker, the joker trumps that kind of card? You see, God can lay out the plan and say, I'm with you. I'm for you. Here's the plan I have for you. Here's the power I got behind you. Here's the promises I'll set in your heart. Here's what I'll do in you. And at the drop of a hat, you could say, no, God. No, God, I don't want to do that. And God will not force himself upon you. You ever heard of Judas? Hey, he didn't pull him by the back of the neck and say, come back, Judas. No, no, Judas. Listen, listen, Judas, you don't understand. This decision will destroy you. You only see the money, but I see the depression that will happen after the money. You'll get so depressed, you'll kill yourself. Don't do it, Judas. Did, did, he, did he try to stop him and drag him back? No. He kissed him and he said, friend, do what you got to do. Jesus is not your babysitter. He is a Lord and king and he says obey me and you decide whether or not you say yes lord yes lord i'll obey it may not be easy i may not agree my friends may think i'm crazy but lord i'll obey you decide who you're going to be deborah said yes lord and when she said yes to God, he lifted her up. The Bible says that uh, those who lower themselves will be lifted up, but those who try to lift themselves will be lowered. God said he opposes the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. He says those who humble themselves will be exalted in due time. You see, Deborah humbled herself to God and said, God, not my will, but your will. I'll do what you're saying. And God said, I'm going to make you one bad mamma jamma. You got generals that I ain't going to go to battle unless you go with that. You go with them. I want to be a leader like Deborah. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Next, we look to Hannah. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant, gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. You see, Deborah represents leadership, influence, an example of our faith, a, a hero. This awesome woman, Hannah, represents the big ask. Everybody say the big ask. Okay, look at your neighbor and say, he ain't talking about the other thing. I like big, and I can't, no, I ain't talking about that. What is that guy's name? I just told you, Sir Mix-a-Lot. I like big, no, 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 no. I just lost it there. Come back with me, saints. Everybody say, the big ask. Have you ever, 
had something in your life that you really felt was good and you should have it or you should be doing it, uh, but you've tried it so many times and you failed at it or you tried to get it and you couldn't get it, and after a while you just stop believing for it? Have you had anything in your life where you just allow to die and you say, this probably is not for me? A lot of times they call this a midlife crisis when people get to a certain age and they look at themselves and go, I guess I'll never be a professional baseball player. And the woman says, I guess I'll never be Miss America. I, I guess I'll never own that business. I'll just be working here. And then they freak out and go, what happened to my life? Where did the days of my youth go? You ever felt that in life? Where you just ask for something and you don't get it or you believe for something and it doesn't work out? Hannah was like that. She lived in a time where people were defined by the children that they had. As a woman, she was defined by the kind of children she would have. If she had awesome farmer children, then she would be known as like the mama who gave birth to great farmers. If she had strong warrior children, she would be known as the one that gave birth to warriors. But she couldn't have a child. And she kept trying and trying and trying. And then eventually her husband, who was a God-fearing man as well, he said to her, Hannah... Why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? So her husband said, Honey, I know you don't have any children, but aren't I a good man? I should be worth by ten of your sons. You see, he didn't understand. What he was trying to say is if I give you a bunch of B's, you won't want A anymore. But what she was saying is no matter how many B's I have, I still want A. Her A was wanting to have children. And he kept saying, well, you can have all of these other things and you should be happy. But she was saying, I won't be happy until I have this. You see, what Hannah represents to us is a big God that likes when we have big prayer requests. I think some of you have lost your dreams because I know that I have. And I'm challenged by this woman who refused to take no for an answer and refused to just say, well, life is good without these things, so I'll just be happy without it. No, she went to the temple and she began to pray. Look at 1 Samuel here in the, in the, the blog, 111. Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant's misery and remember, remember me and not forgive, forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor shall pass on his head. She basically said, I will give him as a priest, as as a Levite, as a man who doesn't shave his head or his beard, and he's a holy man. She said, but just give me a son, God. She was weeping so intensely that the priest who was there thought she was drunk and tried to get her out because you know sometimes you can weep so crazy that, you know, people think you messed up, but you just crying, boogers going, ah! The, the priest thought he was, she was drunk. But she said, I'm not drunk. In other words, she's saying, I'm just asking God for something that's so big and so meaningful to me that I feel if I don't get it, I'll die. You know what God did? God gave her that son. That son became Samuel, the prophet, and she did exactly what she said she would do. She gave that son to the Lord because she was honored just to be the mother of a prophet because her prayers were answered. Her prayer was, can I give birth to an awesome man of God, not a basketball player, not a millionaire, not the next Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg of uh, Facebook. She said, can I give birth to a man of God? 
And when she did, she gave it to God. And God said, now I'm going to give you more children. I'm going to give you more than you've ever asked, thought, or imagined. Turn quickly to Ephesians 3.20. I want to challenge some of you here as you're turning this passage, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that God is not only able to do what you're asking, but he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above what you're asking. Does anybody have a big ask in their heart today? Does anybody have something on the inside that you might even be embarrassed to share with others because you think if you share it with them, they're going to laugh at you? That they're going to say to you, man, that, that's crazy. Put up the vision for me, please, the 100,000. See, I got a big ask. I got something that's bigger than me that you might have heard today and thought I was crazy. And we've been saying it for almost 10 years, and we're going to say it till Jesus comes back. And if it never happens, you can at least say that guy was consistent. 100,000 disciples in Chicago. Do you know what 100,000 would look like? The largest church in our city has about 10,000. That's 10 times that size. Joel Osteen in Houston has about 40,000. That would be almost triple the size of his church. Have you ever seen uh, the stadiums full like a soldier stadium for Super Bowl and then they bring in some people on the floor and all that? That's about 100,000. The Rose Bowl, about 100,000. Why? Because I said, God, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to pour out my heart and ask you for the biggest thing I can think of. 100,000 people would change Chicago. 100,000 people with Chicago for Jesus shirts preaching the gospel, living it differently in their homes, being Deborah's would make a difference. You would know we were here. The governor would know we were here. We wouldn't have to ask the alderman for favors like free garbage pickup. I don't want to ask the alderman anything except to repent and accept Jesus. I don't want to ask the mayor for a handout. I want to ask, I want to give him a hand up to Jesus Christ. See, 100,000 would get somebody's attention in this city. But it's my big ask. What's yours? Going back to that scripture, sir, Ephesians 3, what is that thing in your heart that you could say, God, it may be impossible for me. It may seem crazy for everybody else around me, but I believe now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God, I'm believing that. God, I'll put my life on the line for that. I'll come to the altars and weep and pray, and I won't stop knocking on heaven's door until I get what I came for. I will dream big in this world. I will believe that there's more than what's here. You see this in the world. You see this in the world, saints. Come on. You've seen a man build a company. You saw a woman, Oprah Winfrey, build, become a billionaire. Why not the people of God ask God for his blessings to change and transform the world? You see, but you can't ask God for his blessings for your own benefit to spend on yourselves. That's why the selfish keep getting rich is because they're operating according to the kingdom of this world. They're not looking at how generous they can be or how much they can do for God. They're looking out for themselves. And the devil loves to reward selfishness because the more rich people that are selfish, the more he can trap people with the love of money, which causes many to fall and stumble. 
But the Christian who calls out for blessings is not calling out for blessings for therefore and no more so they can have a yacht and live on the lake. What they're calling out for is God to come and give it to them so they can give it away like Hannah gave Samuel back to the Lord. God is looking for people that will say, can I give a business to you? But I don't want you to do it like Steve Jobs and Apple to keep it for yourself. I want that business to be what funds missionary work in the third world countries. I want you to feed Dofar through the ideas I give you. That's why it's so far and few and in between. You can only think of a few like Chick-fil-A, Hobby Lobby. There's far and few and in between great businessmen in our world. Why? Because the rest are serving themselves. They're in the system of the world. They're cutting corners, taking advantages of people. And God is not in that. Though they have money, they lack his blessing. Blessing is different than money. Money is a result of hard work and labor. The blessing comes freely from the Lord. And though it does give material things, the blessing of the Lord satisfies a man. That's why no matter how much wealth, houses, and land a person can have if they don't have God, there's still a God-shaped hole on the inside of them that no matter how many Super Bowls they win, no matter how many businesses they start, it doesn't satisfy them. But God is looking for people like Hannah that will say, I'll be satisfied in you and I'll receive what you give me so I can give it away. Somebody say in closing. Look at David with me quickly in closing. David represents victory. What did Deborah represent? Leadership. What does Hannah represent? The big ask. And now what does David represent? Victory. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Band, would you come please? The story of David and Goliath is one of the most famous in the Bible. How many have heard that story, David and Goliath? What's the story? Young boy knocks out a giant. We get it, right? It makes sense. Young boy knocks out a giant. But do you know what gave that young man the courage to do what he did? His faith in God. There was tens of thousands of Israelite soldiers on the battlefield that day. But why did a young boy take up his slingshot and face a giant. Why, why didn't the other soldiers do it? There was a king, a general on the field that day because they saw the enemy and not God. What do you see in life? Do you always see the bad, the negative? I'm sick. My family's falling apart. The economy is dropping. Do you make your problems so big and God so small to where all he has to do is just yell and threaten you and you just run away from the devil? It's like, oh, you threatened me. I'm, I'm running away. All Goliath did was stand in the valley and just call him a bunch of punks. You're a punk. You're a sissy. Y'all ain't doing nothing. We're going to take this land from you. I double dog dare anybody to come get some. I'll knock you out like Brock Lesnar at a UFC fight. I will drop you. None of you coming out here day after day after day. And soldiers train mighty men of God who had seen and and heard of the victories of God. Coward. Said, I ain't going, man. You go, no, I ain't going. You go, no, we ain't going. But a young boy came and said, what is this I hear? Somebody is mocking and defying our God? One of two things will happen. Either I'll die in the name of my God and courage out here, or he's going down.
But I can't stand back here and do nothing. I have to move into this battle. You see, a person of faith says, you know what? Wind, lose, hell, high water. I got to go forward. Peter walked on water, fell, but got back up, baby. See, there's things that you got to realize are worth risk to taking risks for. There are things in life worth taking risks for. David said, I'm willing to put it all on the line for this. Parents, are you willing to put it all on the line for your children? I'm putting down my foot right here. We're going to church. You're going to youth group. I'm putting it all on the line. You can run away and say I was a child abuser if you want. But there's one thing for sure. I'm coming here believing that I'm going to knock the devil of rebellion out of my house. Let it be known your mom served God. You can say she was crazy like me, but I serve God. Anybody here want to take on the addictions, the bad habits of their life? Yeah, I've been depressed. I've been suffering anxiety. But I'm going to step on the battlefield. I'm going to get the Jesus that changed other people to change me. I'm going to step out here. I may look foolish, but I'm going to step out into this battle. You've got to make a decision that there are things in life worth being foolish for. Yeah, it seemed foolish to start a church in the storefront. But you're here now, so are you a fool? Hey, two years ago they thought I was a fool for putting it here. But you're here. Are you a fool? People thought a man saying he was going to die and rise again was foolishness. But you're here raising your hands. His name is above every name. Some pilgrims said, we want to get away from the tyranny of a king and build a free land here. You call it America. Put it on the back of your dollar so you would never forget. In God we trust. When you salute this nation, are you a fool? No, there were things in life that people took risks for. Your business, somebody had to get investors together. Somebody had to come up with a product. Somebody had to put their name on the lease to have that company to sign that check. Are you willing to do what David did and say, hey, don't nobody lose heart here. There's a Christian. I'm going to battle right now. Hey, family, don't lose heart. I'm going to start praying. God's going to answer us. Hey, company, don't get discouraged. We're going to pray because people still got to get a house in this economy. If we're selling homes, we're going to get the one guy who buys a home this week. We're going to get him. Come on, kids. I don't care what all your friends are doing. Same sex, multiple sex, transgender. You're going to live for Jesus. You're going to be a virgin. You're going to be pure and holy. You're not going to be the next Miley Cyrus. You're going to be holy. I'm going to fight that battle. You see, everybody wants to stand on the sidelines and cheer. But nobody wants to get out and face the giant. If you and I, I'm putting myself here, come on. It's like the pastor's better than this. This is me. This is how I live. This is everybody, people. If you and I want to see the greatest victories, we got to get up in the fight. You want a family that's blessed? You got to fight for your family. You want your neighborhood to change? We got to fight for it to change. You want your job to change? You got to fight. And at the end of David's life, he gave all glory to God. And he said in his own words that though a thousand fall at his one side and ten thousand at his other, 
the destruction would never come near him. Do you know why he knew from that day fighting Goliath to all the days of fighting wars that God was by his side? Because he knew what God said he was going to do. He trusted him. God said, David, you're going to fight and I'm going to win. You're going to stand out there and I'm going to bring the victory. But you got to get out there. Do you trust me? That's what, that's what assurance is, is when you step out and say, God, I will trust you. I always give the example about a man riding on a, uh, a unicycle and him saying, do you trust me? But I want to give you guys another example. If you haven't heard the unicycle example, you need to talk to somebody because it will blow your mind. I want to give you an example. Imagine me saying to Bethany, Bethany, you and I, are going to preach the gospel in the Philippines together. And she may say to me, Dad, I don't even know what the Philippines is. <laughs> Philippines, what is the Philippines? I don't know what the Philippines is. Are they beans, beans, Philippines? I don't know. You know, what is the Philippines? And I'm like, we're going to go. As a child, she can't even comprehend, but all she has to do is say yes, right? But as she gets older, what that yes will mean will mean more because she'll understand more. So as she begins to see planes, you know, well, I'm going to go, we're going to be on one of those planes for like 12 hours. We're going to do that. Oh, okay, so going to the Philippines means I go on a plane. I just can't go there like Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, you, you got to get on a plane to go to the Philippines. And then she's going to realize, okay, the Philippines is a different culture. It's a different people. So from the day I tell her today to the day we go, her yes has always been the same, but she's growing in her understanding of what it means to trust me that when we go to the Philippines, it's going to be all right. You see, some of you right now, you want God to explain the end to you right now from the beginning. And what he's wanting to say is, Shh, my child, you're not ready to understand the end yet. You just need to understand the beginning. And here's the beginning. We're going to go places and it's going to be awesome. We're going to go places and it's going to be great. You're going to see things you've never seen before. You're going to do things you've never done before. Do you believe me? Well, then let's take a step. Let's take another step. And then one day you'll do it and you'll be at that place called there. You'll be there, that place that you've been waiting to get there. And you'll wonder, how did you ever get there? It was because you started here every day of your life to get there. It was a journey with your heavenly Father who would never leave leave you nor forsake you how many people want to go on a journey that starts here and ends up over there would you stand to your feet come on let's give God a hand clap of praise would you just thank him in your own words now would you just raise your hands to heaven with me band would you start to play a worship song we're going to baptize in just a moment but I want you to tell God in your own words I surrender I want to start here to end up over there. I want to go right now and trust you in the little things, in the small things, so that I can see you accomplish big things. Come on, band, just sing that song you got in your heart right now. Jesus. Jesus. Just between you and God, let's just pray for a few moments. Jesus, I want to go with you. 
There's heroes today. Come on, it's not just way back when. There's heroes of the faith here today. I want to go with you, Jesus. I can't hear the vocals. I need them to sing out. Come on, church, sing with them. Come on, let's just worship him before we baptize today. We're giving it all to God. Jesus. Come on. Jesus. The weak are made strong through the storm. Yes, Lord. You're Lord of all. Come on, one more time. Voices raised. Would you sing it out, mighty men and women of God? Christ the Lord. He's the cornerstone, the foundation. The weak are made strong today. Hallelujah. Woo! Do it, Jesus. No matter what you're facing, He is Lord. He's Lord of all. How many are going to go on a journey with Jesus? How many are inspired to walk it out by faith? Leadership. Let God use you. No matter what age you are, what gender you are, let God use you to be a leader. The big ask. I want you to come in here next week and drop it like it's hot for the Lord. Be like, bow, here's that promotion. Bow, here's that college degree I'm going for. I just signed up. Boom, here's this new idea I got from my company. I want us to believe that God's going to use us. And then lastly, victory. Yeah, I got some scars on me. You're going to get some. But you know what? I've knocked some giants out. You talk to anybody who's walked with the Lord, yeah, they got some scars. They walk with the limp. Sometimes they're cross-eyed. You know, they're just barely <laughs> hanging on. But you know what? You talk to anybody who's been with Jesus, they'll tell you, you know what? I've been in some battles, but I've never seen the Lord forsake me. He's a good God. I'm going to ask these altar workers to come, and then what we'll do is we're going to have a time of prayer because I want those of you here, friends, family, or just normal Metro praisers, just to come get prayer today. If you don't need prayer, go ahead and fellowship. We just ask that you just, you know, let this be an atmosphere of prayer. You know, go in the back or whatever. And then we're going to change. Those who are going to get baptized, change into your, uh, your shorts and stuff. And then we're going to head back here in like five minutes. And we're going to baptize. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Woo! We're going to baptize people who are saying, I'm going to go there by starting here with Jesus. I'm going to go there to heaven. I'm not there yet, but I'm here, and my life belongs to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we get ready to transition into a fun baptism service, I pray that any of those here that still need prayer or their needs to be met will come forward. Those that maybe want to confess their sins or ask you for comfort or uh, to be gifted with leadership on their job, whatever their requests may be, I pray that they'll come and receive prayer.